When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bunyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Hope it's a payday for you, for you bi-weekly and weekly wage earners. Maybe today is a big day. Get out and go do some good things. It's cold this weekend in Starkville, Mississippi. I don't know how it is where you are. You know, maybe you're in some tropical locale. Maybe you're in Australia. I looked up earlier, it said... Going to be 91 degrees today in Melbourne, Australia. I'll be honest with you, I kind of prefer this. It's like, Steve, no. I, the thing about being cold, you can always put another blanket on the bed and log on the fire, but when you're hot, you're just hot. Not a whole lot you can do. But be that as it may, let me advise you, as this country folks know, you got you got to drip the faucets this weekend. It's going to be, what, three consecutive days where temperatures are going to dip down in the low 20s. I believe we even have a low of 19 Plumbers love it. Plumbers absolutely love it. So be mindful of that. Don't waste your money on that, on something that can be easily prevented. You never knew you were going to get that kind of PSA today on the show. You never get hey, I thought I was going to tune in and talk some basketball, some recruiting, and here we are reminding us, Steve's reminding us, drip the faucets. Drip the faucets. Because take it from somebody who's had to pay a few hundred bucks one time to get some um, – Get some work done after a hard freeze and start. Well, I won't make that mistake again. At least I hope I don't. I hope I don't make that mistake again. Uh, anyway, it's a big weekend. You know, we got some basketball coming up. Had some basketball this week. Some good, some bad. Uh, not a lot to cheer about, though. Picked up a couple of L's. That's not, that's not how we like to do it. But um, the reality of it is, got a big ball game coming up against Ole Miss tomorrow. I, I, I would venture to say it's a must win. It was, oh, you know, Steve, it's too early. No, it's a must win. We cannot afford another bad loss. We're a bubble team as it is. And when you're a bubble team, you got to find a way to get on the right side of the bubble and not lose games to bad teams that uh, make your bubble burst. And there will be other opportunities for us to pick up some quad one wins and increase our net ranking. But you can't shoot yourself in the foot and lose to bad basketball teams. We're not a bad basketball team, although at times – we forget that we're a good basketball team. Sometimes I think we kind of stand around and watch Iverson Molinar operate perhaps a little bit too much. I think this, his supporting cast could do a little more to help him. But I think, again, I told you guys on Wednesday, I said, you know what, win or lose, my enthusiasm about the Mississippi State men's basketball season is not going to be diminished. Now, we lose Saturday, don't miss, all bets are off. Because yeah, I, I still believe this is an NCAA tournament team. However, 
I don't feel as confident about it as I did Wednesday morning because we let a, a very important opportunity slip away, for sure. Now you got to take care of business, and that's the thing. You know, we're about to go through a pretty difficult stretch on the schedule. You know, you're probably going to be an underdog in most of the games. I would, I would say probably the next month of games, you know, the one game you're going to be favored in is the one tomorrow. And outside of that, you're going to probably have to upset somebody or play a little bit above your head or your ranking to get some Ws. Now, Ben Howland has proven to be able to do that in the past. There are times that we count these boys out, these Bulldogs. I hate to use the term boys when they're college age. Uh, but we count these young men out. And they respond. You know, just like last week we were talking about, could we go beat Alabama? And we did. And then we turned right around and lose to Florida, who didn't have their best player. And so it's like, again, as soon as we start inflating the fan base bubble a little bit, something happens that uh, deflates it. So you want to talk about deflating, let's, uh, let's lose that ball game tomorrow. Oh, I can't even begin to think about it. The message boards and social media will be incredibly, incredibly active, uh, calling for a coaching change. There's no question about it. So last night I had Bulldog Burger Company to go. I don't know what you had, but I won. It's true. I, you know, you probably went home and heated up some hot dogs or whatever, you know, or you know, maybe you had uh, you know some box meal or whatever. I had Bulldog Burger Company. And I got it to go. Pretty easy to do, too. Go to the website. Very easy to navigate, you know, the website, you know, the ordering aspect of the website. You go through and it's like it kind of defaults to here's what everything's on it. And then, hey, we want no tomato, no whatever. Very easy to navigate. Easy, easy, easy. And here's the deal. So I put my order in. I got the freshman 15. That was one of the first exotic adventures that I took with Bulldog Burger Company was the freshman 15. I still love it. Have it on occasion. I can't say it's my go-to, but it's it's a nice change of pace for me. I really enjoy it. I do. Got that, and then uh, you know the, the the young man in my life, my my youngest son, he uh, he got the the bulldog with extra bacon. And so they tell me hey, it's be twenty minutes. So I get in the car, I start heading that way, and I'm halfway there, and I get a text I said, "Hey, your order's being checked and bagged for accuracy." I get there, it's already ready. Walk up to the counter, boom, swipe the card, I'm out the door. And they even have like this nice little parking space right up front, you know, for curbside service or online orders. So I'm in and out of there, and next thing you know, I'm home. And before I, you know, by the time I get home, you know, my food's still warm. You know, sometimes you get food to go, and it's like, oh, well, you know, you get it home, you got to microwave it up. Not that we're opposed to that kind of stuff, but it's nice to be able to just, you know, go, go from the car to the dinner table and be able to, to have a meal without any additional preparation. Great great job, Bulldog Burger Company. And uh, love the folks there. Every time I walk in there, they always uh, are so glad to see me. And they feel the same way about you. It's not that I'm so special. They just do a great job. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas. That's the flagship. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And, of course, the brand new one there, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Be sure and check them out. I didn't get to spring rolls last night. And uh, I, I looked in the mirror this morning, and I could tell. Made a big mistake there. You got to get spring rolls, man. You got to. And I, I have people that tell me, Steve, I just get that as my meal. I just get the spring rolls, the appetizer, as my dinner. 
and maybe I add a side salad or french fries or whatever. Mike Nemeth does that. He gets the spring rolls and then gets a big old plate of fries. I don't know how he does it, honestly. It's a lot of food. But be sure and do that. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking and get that chocolate shake to go. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk some men's hoops here. Kind of a two-fold conversation. I want to talk a little bit about the Florida game. And, and I'm not, again, I'm not going to belabor the point, but we blew it. We did. You, you go on the road against a vulnerable Florida team, and then you find out they're missing their best player, their leading scorer is out. You know, we, we took advantage of that against Arkansas. Remember that? They were missing, leading, uh, missing their leading scorer, if I can get it out. We win that ball game 81-68, lose to Ole Miss, win the next two, and then we go to Gainesville thinking, okay, we've, we've got some juice here. If we get this one and we can get Ole Miss, uh, this bad Ole Miss team, you know, all of a sudden we put together a four-game winning streak in the Southeastern Conference. You start really feeling really good about your standing. All is not lost by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, we missed a golden opportunity here. They announced the attendance is just over 10,000. I don't buy it. I know that it's probably the, the paid attendance. But we all watch from home. Most of us did anyway. Watch from home. And uh, because it had that early tip, you know, you're able to kind of do that and then go on with the rest of your day. But, you know, we really, 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 really shot ourselves in the foot, especially on the offensive end late in this ball game. I mean, it just it really felt like, you know, we get to the first half and it felt like, you know, hey, we were up by, what, 9 or 10? Let me just check it right here. I've got, got it right here in front of me. Okay, so we come out of that TV timeout. We're up 35-25 with 3.44 to go in the half. You're plus 10. You think, okay, we just need to kind of nurse this thing along and get to the half. And, you know, Florida's just thinking, hey, let's get it to single digits, give ourselves a chance. You know, they get it down, I guess, to as many as three. We're up three there, 35-32, after they knocked down a big three by Tyree Appleby. Then we stretch it back out to as many as seven with a minute to play, and you think, okay, we're going to go in with some juice. Then we kind of go back and forth, and we we got into a little bit of foul trouble there. We get into the halftime locker room, 41-35, plus six on the road, and it just felt like to me, it's like, okay, I want to feel good about this, but without them having Castleton, you, you feel like we should have a greater advantage. My thought process was because Florida had gotten in some foul trouble in the post, I said, you know what, we'll just – we'll work down low. We'll get Tolu, who, who had a really good second half for us, and we'll get Garrison Brooks working, and we'll get those big guys in trouble, and we'll just be able to dominate down low. Well, Florida says, you know what, we're just going to bomb from outside. That's exactly what they do. They come out and hit the big three on their very first possession in the second half, makes it 41-38. So it's kind of nip and tuck for a while, but, you know, we continued to maintain the lead, even though Florida had made a bit of a run there. You know, you get basically five, six minutes into the half, and we're still up five. And it's like every time they'd make a play, we'd find a way. 12.39 to go. Reeves knocks home a three to pull Florida within two. Then they tie it at 11, with 11.49 to go in the game. They tie it for the first time since 1919. We didn't fold. We go right back to work, and we actually get it up by as many as eight. Under nine minutes to go, it's 61-53. Tolu Smith uh, made a free throw, which was a real struggle early on. It seemed like every time he went to the line, he just couldn't get it done. But we're up eight. And you think, okay, we've survived their run. We're going to be good. Well, 
didn't quite work out that way. <laughs> didn't work out that way at all. Not at all. So we get a little deeper into this thing, kind of working through this. And, uh, you know, again, State's up one at 630. Take it back out to three on a nice layup by Tolu. And you know it's going to be an exciting finish. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, we have let these guys hang around. They're going to start believing. Then Florida takes the lead with five minutes to go on a pair of free throws. They expand the lead out to seven, right under the four-minute mark. And you knew at that point we were in some trouble. They had found their range from three-point line. And from there, Florida pretty much put us away. They go up 11 with 118 to go. You know, at this point, it's kind of academic. But here's the thing that I go back to. We talk about, you know, we had the lead. You know, where were we? Were we eight? Let me double check that. So let's just say at 10.27 to go. No, yeah, 8.57 to go. We've got an eight-point lead at 61.53. 61.53. You know what the final score was? 80 to 72. You can do the math on that. You, you get beat, you get outscored down the stretch. Here's the deal that I've learned, and maybe, maybe you guys are unlike me, but you know when you get outscored by 15 to 20 points in the final 10 minutes of a basketball game, chances are you lose more times than not. And so we have talked at times about some defensive lapses. We've talked at times about offense. This was really a combination of both. Really a combination of both. And, and, you know, offensively, again, I think we stood around way too much waiting for Iverson to kind of take over a ball game. But they were determined to take him away from us, really shut him down there in the second half. You know, Tolu got going for us, and we needed him to. But the reality of it is Mississippi State goes on the road, loses a winnable game. And it's so hard to get road wins in this league, and especially when you get a wounded team like them, you know, Castleton out with a hurt shoulder, and you have got some pretty good post play, you got to be able to win the ball game. We don't. Shaquille Moore leads us with 18 points, and he is really kind of becoming, you know, you know that complimentary player I think that Iverson needs. And, again, you remember he was nine for nine from the line against Alabama? Five of five. That's a pretty good stretch right there. This is a guy that we, you know, we can count on late in the ball game to handle the basketball, too, and get to the free throw line and convert. 34 minutes of action, knock down three threes for us, too. 18 total points. Tolu Smith did next to nothing in the first half. He was scoreless in the first half, ends up with 17. 27 minutes of action, so we're kind of getting him back. You know, his conditioning wasn't quite there against Alabama. Six of eight from the floor, uh, five of nine from the line, and I think he opened 0 for 4. I think I know he opened 0 for 3. Maybe 0 for 4. Um, pulls down six rebounds. Did have three turnovers. A couple times he put the ball on the floor when he probably shouldn't have. Iverson Molinar was outstanding in the first half and then limited to just, I think, two points in the second half. 12 points on the night and 35 minutes of action. Garrison Brooks, you know, this is the thing that I think about with him. He had hit go on Alabama against Alabama. He has his best game as a Bulldog. And then when they're in some foul trouble and they're missing their best player in the post – we kind of disappear again. Seven points. Need a little more consistency from Garrison Brooks because the thing that I've learned, too, he doesn't take bad shots. You just need to get him in a position where, you know, he can make a shot because more chances than not, he's going to make it. Three or three from the floor, even knocked down his first three of the year. 
pulled down a couple rebounds. That's the number that sticks out to me, more, even more so than the seven points. Just two rebounds. DJ Jeffries, 27 minutes. And again, still waiting for the breakout game from DJ. Four points in the ball game. He was very active at times. Uh, even brought the ball down a few times. But, uh, you know, again, it, the bottom line is this. Mississippi State did not execute on the offensive end the last 10 minutes of that ball game, and it cost us. It's kind of like, you know, we don't score the final six, seven innings of a baseball game and expect to win. Not going to happen. What's insane about this is State shot 54% from the floor. You would think with that kind of numbers, that shooting percentage, that makes a difference. Well, the, the differential is the fact that Florida was shooting from three. We were four of 13 from the three-point line, 30.8%, and just 63.6% from the free throw line. That, that's got to get better, 14 of 22. You know, look at Florida's numbers, 10 of 24 from the three-point line. They made 10, we made four. You can do the math on that. Pretty big differential. We made four more shots than they did, and we lose the ball game. Points in the paint for them, just 20. Points in the paint for us, 34. Turnovers, about the same. 24 points for them, 20 for us. Second chance points for them were nine, 13 for us. Bench points, 14 for us, 24 for them. Game was tied just six times, seven lead changes, and we lose. We lose. And uh, not going to sit here and just you know, lament the loss. We, we can't afford to do that. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get... A three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having the outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. You that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. We've got to get ready to go play all Miss. All right, since we've seen all Miss, they have kind of fallen on hard times. Maybe you're aware. They have one SEC win, and it's against us. That was an 82-72 ball game. And to be honest with you, it never really felt like we were in the game. You know, we win the second half, but of course we give up 50 points to a team that can't score in the first half. Really made the difference. Matthew Morrell, 31 points for them. They had four players in double digits against us. We're supposed to be a defensive-minded team. We didn't play good defense that night. There's no no question about it. They, they shot us over just under 51%. And again, perimeter defense. 47.8% from the three-point line for Ole Miss that ball game. 9 of 14. That's got to get better. You know, we've got to be able to defend. And there we are, 3 of 16. So since that time, since Ole Miss beat us in their place, and, you, hey, you give them credit, they jumped on us and uh, never really let us get up. They go to Texas A&M, lose that ball game, 67 to 51. Matthew Morrell Leading scorer again, 11 points. 11. He, he hit us for 31. They had the big ball game against Auburn, and Ole Miss had a six-point lead at the break. And then, you know, there's a 15-point differential in the second half that went the way of the Tigers. And, again, you begin to look at these numbers again. Matthew Morrell, the guy that killed us, 13 points. They actually had four players in double-digit scoring for Ole Miss. Uh, Brooks, Morrell, Brakefield, and uh, Ty Fagan. You know, so we'll see how things, you know, progress. But uh, this Ole Miss team not playing exceptionally well. They lose their most recent ball game on Tuesday to Missouri. Another team that was without its leading scorer, or one of its leading scorers, 78-53. And, again, looking at the numbers, you know, Matthew Morrell, the guy that killed us, and the guy that was the uh, future lottery pick against us, six points. Roughing dishes in 12. They have one double-digit score in that ball game. This is a team that's not playing well. But if I'm Kermit, I'm probably thinking, hey, you know, we always play well against Mississippi State. And Kermit's a guy, too, that coaches well with his back against the wall. So they're going to bring it. You know, it's a 3 p.m. tip uh, for us. It'll be broadcast on ESPNU. Hopefully you can go out and make it to the ball game. It's just one of those things you look at that on paper you'd say, hey, there's no way. Mississippi State should lose this game. But if you know anything about the rivalry, especially the recent years since Kermit's gotten there, he's always gotten them up to play us. You remember that first meeting we had, uh, you know, Kermit's first year, they came in here and they just absolutely destroyed us. Absolutely destroyed us. 
Yeah, and, and what I mean by that is, is like we were the better team. They came in here and broke our hearts. And you know it meant a lot to Kermit Davis. So this one's going to mean a lot to Kermit Davis. You know, we always seem to lose the first one against them. We can't afford to get swept. Absolutely can't. And, again, this Ole Miss team not playing well. Not playing well at all. We talk about, you know, the, the one SEC win was against us. But, see, here's the bigger picture, right? They've lost five out of six, including Samford in the pavilion. So this is a team that has really struggled as of late, yet they found a way to beat us by 10. You know, so our perimeter defense got to be better. You know, we didn't have Tolu in that game, and that does change some things that we want to do offensively. You know, this is not an Ole Miss team that's great in the post. They've got some athletes, obviously, but the reality of it is, is this is a game we should win, but more importantly, we have to win. There is no question about this. Mississippi State's got to find a way to win this, this basketball game. I still believe this is a tournament team. As I mentioned earlier, I'm not as confident as I was on Wednesday because I'm thinking, hey, we knock off Florida, we knock off Ole Miss. Now, all of a sudden, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're starting to, uh, to turn some heads here, and it's really more about us gelling as a team. You know, Shaquille Moore, if we mentioned earlier, is becoming a better player and a more consistent scorer for us. You know, Rocket Watts hasn't done much for us. I still don't think he's 100%. But the reality of it is, is the opportunity that's in front of us, it's a must win. You can say, well, Steve, we still got so much time left. And all that's true, you can't afford to take another bad loss to a bad Ole Miss team. This is not a good Ole Miss team. They're 9-8 and eight overall. 1-4 and four in a conference, lost three in a row. It's just one of those things that you look at and it just doesn't make a lot of sense. They are 1-5 away from the pavilion. But you know what? Like many of you, I'm worried about the basketball game. I'm worried. And one of the reasons that I'm worried, I don't know that we always get up for this game anymore. That's where I give, you know, Rick Stansberry a lot of credit. When Stansberry was here, and in some respects, I give Rick Ray some credit too. We acknowledged the fact that it was a rivalry game. We knew what it meant to the fans. I, I don't know that that's our approach under Ben Howen. And that's not to throw shade at Ben. I, I, I think Ben has more of this, the, the next game mentality. It's a big game because it is the next game. You know, Rick understood you know, in-state recruiting, it was important to have those W's against Ole Miss. And he had a bunch of them. And some of them very memorable. You guys remember the big Carl Hess choke game, right? Now, if that game's against, you know, Missouri, you don't remember it. But games against LSU, you probably don't remember that either, unless LSU's highly ranked. I mean, if it's against, you know, Auburn, you don't even care. But it was a big game against Ole Miss, and Ole Miss, you know, had a good team that year. You know, they, I don't know they always won a lot of ball games. They had a lot of talent. And Robert Kirby, of course, coached us to a blowout win. And, and uh, I remember that stupid charge call they called on Brandon Vincer, a block, I think it was, that set Rick Stansbury through the roof. But Rick got it. And you're always playing for something bigger. People say, well, you know, I just wish we, you know, we didn't put so much emphasis on the rivalry. You know, it is what it is. You can feel about it however you want to feel about it. But there is an intensity on the other side in men's basketball. Andy Kennedy got it. He understood the importance of beating Mississippi State in men's basketball and made a habit of doing so. 
Kermit Davis, a Mississippi State alum, a guy that a lot of people wanted Mississippi State to hire at two different junctures. It matters. So, there, so those guys, you know, being Mississippi guys, they get it. They understand what it means to their fan base. And, and you guys know more than anybody, you know, nothing gets favor for coaches more than beating the rival school. It doesn't matter if they're good. doesn't matter if they're great. doesn't matter if they're awful. You want to be able to go to that water cooler on Monday morning, kind of poke your chest out a little bit and say, hey, you know what, we, we beat you guys. Oh, we're not very good. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. The logos never change. The names do. The seasons change. You know, the quality of play changes. But the reality is the logos don't change. You know, I've joked with you guys before. We, you know, we talk about, you know, playing football. I, I don't care if Ole Miss has to play with 10. You know, I still want to win the ball game. I'm never going to be like, oh, well, well, we didn't really count. No, no, no. Not how it works. But we're going to see a pretty desperate Ole Miss team. You know, is Kermit coaching for his job? Probably not. I know that there are a lot of people out there that uh, within the Ole Miss fan base that are pretty quick to, uh, you know, to, to, to tweet the fire Kermit stuff after losses. And let's be honest. I mean, when you've lost six of seven, how can you have confidence in your coaching staff? Right? That's just the re- – I mean, think about how we feel. If we went through a stretch like that, we'd be ready for a coaching change too. And there are a lot of people out there that are like, hey, this is not going to work. And we, we invested all this money and built this great facility, and we're not getting a return on the investment. We're not getting NCAA tournament appearances. We're not either. And if we're going to get one, you know, the next step in that process is tomorrow – by beating a pretty bad Ole Miss team. I mean, the fact that anybody is at around 500 at this point in the season, you know, it's pretty indicative of the kind of year they're going to have. You know, Kermit's a guy, too, that coaches well with his back against the wall. That's one thing I'll say, too. Like, I give Mike Bianco and Kermit Davis a little credit. You know, they just when everybody starts doubting them a little bit, they kind of bow their back a little bit and come out swinging. And that worries me a little bit about tomorrow. Are we going to have the intensity necessary to match what Kermit and Ole Miss are going to bring? And that's why I think the crowd's important. Now, many people have decided, you know what, I'm not going to go. I was going to go, and they lose this bad game to Florida, uh, to a vulnerable Florida team, so I'm not going to go. I'm going to sit home and watch it on TV. And you know what, that's your right to do so. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that I think the crowd can be a difference in the ball game. There'll be some Ole Miss people there. There will be. Need to have a lot of Bulldogs there. And, again, it's, you know, it's State and Ole Miss. It is. No matter how you look at the total picture here, it's Mississippi State and Ole Miss. So we need the support there. We need people to turn out. Because I think when the intensity with Ole Miss comes out and Kermit comes out, you know, with his fist in the face and that sort of stuff, I think your team's going to need somebody to have their back. Got to have a little lift. Be ready to go. And so I'm eager to see – what we come out with, what we're going to do offensively. Let's look at the SEC standings real quick here before we move on. Got a special top ten list today. We had to make a change due to some current events. Okay, so here's where it stands today, and we're just going to do conference records. Uh, Auburn, of course, still number one, 6-0. and uh, Kentucky, with a huge road win at Texas A&M earlier this week, makes the Wildcats 5-1. 
the Aggies four and one, and I really thought A and M was game. That game came on after our game. I just left it on the channel and kept watching. Uh, the atmosphere down in College Station was phenomenal, it really was. Mississippi State hanging in there at fourth, three and two in the league, and it, it but it just feels like a fragile four, right? I mean, it's like you look at our schedule and you think we got to find out to go get a dub here, and it's like five and one would have felt so much better than four and two would feel. LSU gets upset by Alabama. They dropped at three and three. Arkansas uh, also at three and three. Kind of a log jam there right there. LSU, Arkansas, Tennessee, Alabama, all right there at three and three. And Alabama's going to figure some things out. It's, it's, but what's going to happen with them is when they're hitting their threes, they're going to win. When they're not, they're going to lose. Florida, of course, improves their positioning with a big win over Mississippi State, two three. Vandy also two and three. Missouri two and three. Their their big win over Ole Miss. Uh, Gets them out of the cellar. South Carolina, 1-4. Ole Miss, 1-4. And, and then Georgia, 0-5. And, and, of course, the only thing keeping Ole Miss uh, from being 0-5 in the league is a whatever Mississippi State. So, Georgia, I think it's pretty safe to say, going to make a coaching change, 0-5. And 5-13 and and overall. They've lost seven games in a row, which by far is the, uh, you know, the longest losing streak in the conference at present. In case you didn't know, Auburn's won 14 in a row. And here's the thing that I think about. Let's say that Mississippi State makes a men's basketball coaching change this year. What direction should John Cohen go? Well, the first thing that I would look at is uh, Auburn. You remember Bruce Pearl? Bruce Pearl won big at Tennessee. And then there was the whole thing about the cookout or whatever, and then Bruce Pearl is out of coaching. And Dave Didion, who was uh, an NCAA investigator at the time, ends up being like an associate in the compliance department at Auburn, interviewed Dave as part of Flim Flam. It, maybe you've read that. Had a whole chapter uh, about kind of enforcement 101 with Dave Didion. Dave's a guy that's been around a few 24 hours. Guy's outstanding. Really ta- appreciate him taking the time to speak to me. But Dave Didion's the guy that kind of did Bruce Pearl in at Tennessee. And then he goes to work at Auburn. They want to hire Bruce Pearl, and Dave Didion signed off on it. He goes, hey, Bruce knows what will happen. Bruce knows he better fly straight. You know, there have been some issues there too, but I think to myself, you know, Bruce Pearl was given another opportunity, and now Auburn's playing among the best basketball in the country. Then, of course, there's Will Way, the American gangster at LSU. How does that guy still have a job? How? This is going on. I mean, the guy was caught on a federal wiretap, and he's still working. And still winning, 15-3 and three overall. And so the question that I ask, if, you know, if I'm John Cohen, I think to myself, okay, well, if Bruce Pearl can be considered a reformed citizen and a reformed coach, and Will Wade can be caught in a FBI wiretap, you know, why do I want to go out there and, and uh, maybe go get the guy from Wesley College? You know, why do I want to go out there and go get, um, you know, some rising assistant coach? I don't think that I do. I think I push the envelope a little bit. Mississippi State needs some juice in men's basketball. We do. We need new life in this program. We need an identity. You rem- guys, you remember, it wasn't too, that too terribly long ago, you know, Derek Zimmerman, Timmy Bowers, Shane Powers, 
Lawrence Roberts. I mean, we remember those names because they're important to us. And I would say the casual fan probably couldn't name me a lot of players last decade or so. We remember that 0-4 team that won the SEC. We remember how big it was. We'd play Alabama and Mark Godfrey and how much we despised them because we were playing for the West back when they had the West. But the reality of it is, is that we have kind of been adrift for a while in men's basketball. People say, but Steve, no, not but Steve. Because here's the deal. I, you know, I don't think we should just fill the team. Maybe I'm in the minority. Maybe so. I don't think we should just fill the team because that's what's required. I think we should um, always aspire to be the best. And, um, you know, I feel like I've, I know John Cohen pretty well, and I know how competitive John is. You know, like some of you guys, the, you had the nickname you had for him when he was a baseball coach. You know, he was the intense, you know what, because you knew John was going to get out there and fight. And so John's still doing the same thing as an athletic director, too. He's still fighting for Mississippi State. But I can tell you that, you know, we, you know, basketball is one of the revenue-producing sports in college athletics. It needs to be for us, too. You know, and these are the things that I think about. You know, we have uh, NCAA tournament appearances. We've had one since 2009. One. Let that sink in for a second. We've had one. You know, for the, the early 2000s, Mississippi State men's basketball was kind of the source of pride for the university. You know, we, we were kind of wandering through the wilderness of an NCAA investigation in, in football. You know, the tail end of the Jackie Sherrill years, and there's, you know, there's all that craziness that went on with all that stuff. You know, we make the tournament in 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005. Could have made it. Another year or two go back, we're in there in eight and nine. You know, so it's like that had kind of become such a source of pride for us, especially through some lean football years. And we had some baseball years that were kind of up and down too. And so it's like the one consistent program that we could cheer for was the Mississippi State men's basketball program. And I don't think we have to trade one for another. You know, here's a couple of years ago, you know, we were – we set an, a school record for postseason appearances for you know, different teams. You know, we had men's golf, women's golf, men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, everything. Everything was in the postseason, you know. So I don't think we have to say, well, you can only be good in a couple sports if you're Mississippi State. I, I just completely disagree with that assertion. You know, we're the kind of program, too, where our fans will turn out. And we joked about that even back then. It's like, man, it's, being a Mississippi State fan, you never get a break. You know, we're always cheering for something. We're always playing for something in the postseason. And so, you know, if I'm John Cohen, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go get somebody. I'm going to go push the envelope. I'm not going to make the safe hire. I'm going to go make the impact hire. Now, who that is, I don't know. But it is painfully clear at this point that nobody in college basketball is really off limits. You know, Bruce Pearl, run out of college basketball, he's back. Will Wade. Called that investigation. He's still coaching. You know, so you got to keep your nose clean. But at the same time, too, I think, I think you got to go out there and get somebody that can pro provide an impact on this program. And again, that's kind of how I see it. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so. 
Let's jump into today's top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's Close, C-L-O-S-E, with Blair, B-L-A-I-R. Blair Chandler is a friend of mine, longtime friend of mine, can be a friend of yours. Everybody needs a friend in the industry, and we're talking mortgage industry. It's a very complicated process. It really is. And it's good to have somebody that can kind of hold your hand through that process. It's already kind of been through the wilderness. Whether you're looking to buy a home for the first time or you're looking to refinance your home, maybe perhaps get a second mortgage, Blair has seen it all and done it all. 21 years of experience in the industry, works for Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one. Number one in customer satisfaction. That's a pretty good deal. So you're getting the number one guy from the number one company. That's right, in the top 1% national close ratio. It's Blair Chandler. So maybe you're a non-conforming borrower. Maybe you are a, uh, a person that perhaps uh, has got a, kind of a unique situation. Blair can help you with that. Don't be scared to reach out. You know, maybe you've been told no in the past, and maybe it's because you had a bad loan officer. Maybe you had a guy or a gal that wouldn't go fight the underwriters for you. They wouldn't go plead your case. Well, that's not the case of Blair. Blair will be your advocate. Here's his personal cell number, 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And here's the thing, too. If you're a Boneyard listener, doesn't matter what school you cheer for. If you listen to the Boneyard, if you mention to Blair you heard about him on the Boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. It's about a five dollars to $600 value. A lot of fees involved in getting the mortgage closed. Blair's going to pick up some of those for you. Again, free appraisal for Boneyard listeners. Be sure to mention that to Blair, whether you contact him by email or text or phone call to say, hey, I heard about you on the Boneyard. Where's my free appraisal? He'll take care of you. Be sure to check him out again. That's closeofblair.com. All right, we had other plans today, but we have uh, made a pivot. If nothing else, I am a man of the people. I like to give the people what they want. I have had no, no doubt that I have had at least 20 messages today. I said, hey, Steve, we got to do a meatloaf top 10. As you guys may know by now, meatloaf, legendary singer, sold 80 million records, passed away at the age of 74. We're getting old, but the reality of it is, is that um, you know, a lot of people that we looked up to and admired, they are too. If you've never watched the documentary about Meatloaf and his life, it, uh, it's a pretty remarkable story. You know, he's, it's a guy, it basically, he's been an underdog his whole life. Incredible voice, incredible showmanship. Wasn't necessarily the best songwriter, so Jim Steinman uh, handled a lot of that stuff. An incredible songwriter in his own respect. Great partnership. And a lot of you guys, maybe you're too young to know this, but uh, you know, Meatloaf was part of Hair. It was a uh, you know great. I guess it was on Broadway for a long time, but um, it was, you know, Hair was a big deal, and it was kind of like everybody's introduction to Meatloaf, and they began began recording. And next thing you know, this guy with the big voice and the big personality, very theatrical. You know, it's like he kind of crossed over, not. They weren't metal by any stretch of the imagination. And you would look at the album cover sometimes and you would think, that you know, you see Bat Out of Hell and you're thinking, wow, this is, uh, you know, this is like Black Sabbath. In no way is it like Black Sabbath no, no, at all. So it was kind of deceptive, I guess you could say. If anybody had bought that album uh, based on the name and the album cover, you probably were somewhat disappointed. 
but I say that because Meatloaf was kind of in a category of his own. You know, a lot of things that he did, you know, were kind of made for the stage. It wasn't made for the studio. And so many of you said, hey, Steve, let's, uh, let's do this top ten. And, uh, I mean, as soon as the news broke, people were like, hey, have we done a top ten for Meatloaf? We've got to do one. And if you've done one, let's bring it back. We've not, we've not done one. And maybe we did one, um, maybe we did like a partial one at some point. I kind of remember that, you know, like some, you know, in the, in the infancy of the top 10 list, you know, I don't know that I could come up with, uh, there were some bands out there that, uh, you know, we, maybe we did top three or top five just to kind of get the thing going. Spent some time today listening to some meatloaf stuff and, um, you know, doing some other research too, because you know how there are things that kind of get lost, you know, you get busy and you don't always know. But here's the top 10 meatloaf songs. And again, 80 million records sold. Think about that for a second. And, and he was actually bigger in England than he was in America. And he had one number one song that was uh, number one in 28 countries. Pretty impressive. So we're going to go to number 10. This song was originally written for Meatloaf. But he was not the first to record it or have a hit with it. But he did record it later and again it's a Jim song Jim said he envisioned this being a female vocal presented the song to Celine Dion she had a huge hit with it and of course Meat Love eventually did record it he also had a big hit with it probably not as big as Celine Dion's but uh, it's all coming back to me now number 10 on the list and I wouldn't necessarily call this one a cover I think we can kind of get this one under the line on technicality because it was written in that songwriting you know partnership uh between jim and, and with me in mind and then um just kind of felt like you know what let's do it this way and then it, it was such a huge success that uh they decided to run with it with meatloaf too number nine another very very clever song i'd lie for you and that's truth we've all been in that situation too number eight kind of a sleepy sleepy sneaky strong song in the meatloaf catalog it's modern girl modern girl this is one that actually was a big hit on british radio kind of some moderate success here in the state uh and sometimes i wonder too you know how much of that is the bureaucracy of of american music there's so we talked about that recently when whitney houston went number one even though motley Cruz girls 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 sold more albums that week there is this machine you know when it comes to american music at times and uh Sometimes I think people like Meatloaf kind of get wrapped up in that because he, he wasn't, you know, the sex symbol. You know, there's, you have this overweight guy with uh, kind of long stringy hair and, you know, wearing a uh, Mexican tuxedo shirt on stage and that sort of stuff. And I think a lot of people, because I think they were, because things had become so image conscious, I don't think he fit their mold, even though he was incredibly talented. Number seven, Dead Ringer for Love actually uh, featured Cher on this one. This is an interesting song, too. And again, it seems like you know you'd expect it. Like if you went to like a show or something, like you went to like a Broadway show, that you you could hear this. Uh, number six, a part of the the soundtrack of one of the greatest movies of all time, and that they still play this in theaters, and people dress up and go, and they become characters, and you know there's there's so many like, if you've ever been to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and like people are are all in, and like there there used to be this place. Uh, I guess it was in Fort Walton or Panama City Beach. I can't remember which. But they, they used to do the Rocky Horror Picture Show like every Saturday night. 
And all these people would come. It's like they would they knew all these things about the movie that I didn't know. And like the crowd is like part of the show. Like there's this whole thing about the cards and all this kind of stuff like that. And so if you ever get a chance to go to the Rocky Horror Picture Show and it's a fully in, involved crowd, you got to go. It will change everything. The movie is great. But then all of a sudden when you add, you know, this interactive audience experience, it makes it 10 times better. And Meatloaf had a song on the soundtrack. It's Hot Patootie, Bless My Soul. It's outstanding. I mean, it is. And, and to be honest with you, I think it's one of the highlights of the movie. And I don't think America was really ready for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I think that's one of the reasons it became such a cult favorite is because it really kind of flew in the face of a lot of longtime and antiquated sensibilities within this country. Number five, a little bit later in the catalog, it's Rock and Roll Dreams Come True. And I think that song is kind of, uh, you know, probably indicative of the life and career that Meatloaf had. I mean, honestly, you know, it's like this is the guy, again, he wanted it so bad. And again, if you, if you watch the documentary, and I'm sure they're going to make the rounds now that he's passed away, and you'll see how bad this guy wanted to succeed. He had a dream, he had talent, and just needed a break, and he finally got it. Number four, it's a title track off the debut album. It's Bad Out of Hell. And again, it's not written by Molly Hatchett. You know, it's not Black Sabbath. They're not Merciful Fade or anything like that. It's Meatloaf. And so it is a little different. And again, it's, it's a little bit of a, it's almost like a misnomer in many respects too. But the title track doesn't get the notoriety that some other songs do, but it's got this great long intro. And that's the thing we used to have back in the day. You know, like the lead track on an album, there was always this kind of, long and in some cases drawn out intro that kind of like got you ready for the roller coaster ride that's what this one does number three and i think we would all agree that the top three songs are the top three songs i don't know that we would get a lot of blowback on that but number three it's paradise by the dashboard light paradise paradise by the dashboard light um maybe you need your parents to explain it to you maybe don't know but back in those days, you know, a lot of people went parking. We'll just call it that. People went parking. And the dashboard light, uh, you know, sometimes was, um, was the only light. Number two, and this to me, like, had Meatloaf never had come back, had he not had this second run of the career, this would have been it. This would have been the quintessential Meatloaf song. And it's two out of three ain't bad. You know, I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way I'm ever going to love you. But don't be sad because two out of three ain't bad. You know, and uh, it's, the song is, it's a masterpiece. I mean, it really is. And it's so unpredictable in many respects. And there's just so much emotion in the song. I think this is it. I mean, honestly, the 70s meatloaf, this was it. And if they had never recorded anything else, when people referred to Meatloaf, this is the song that I think people would go back to. But fortunately, Meat had another run at success. And you know what number one is? It's I Would Do Anything for Love. And it is a phenomenal song. And the video is phenomenal. And uh, actually, this kind of got him back into, into the acting light and did some movies. People forget he was in Fight Club. That's right. His name was Robert Paulson. His name was Robert Paulson. Because in Project Mayhem, we have no names. But in death, we do. His name was Robert Paulson. 
It's incredible. But I would do anything for love. It, that song was everywhere. I mean, we talk about a mega hit. Again, number one in 28 countries. That's a mega hit. There are a lot of people that go to number one. And maybe it's just domestically or maybe it's in Europe. But, I mean, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. And I saw the – see, here's the deal. I'd be like, oh, there's speculation about that. Yeah, no. And I completely disagree with all that. So what is that? Well, what is that? It's pretty easy. At the end of the song, they kind of hint around to it. You know, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Well, what's that? What's it? So they kind of let you off the hook at the end. You know, because it's a bit of a duet, you know, and it's like, oh, we're having this great relationship. And so I pulled this up, and I even tweeted it out to Bart Gregory, and people were like, well, I don't know. No, no. No, it's not. And it's not really, I don't really think it's really even up for interpretation. Because here's the final lyrics, right? After a while, to forget everything, it was a brief, brief interlude in a midsummer night's fling, and you'll see that it's time to move on. I won't do that. I won't do that. I know the territory I've been around. It'll all turn to dust and we'll all fall down. And sooner or later, you'll be screwing around. I won't do that. No, I won't do that. Anything for love. Oh, I would do anything for love. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. No, I won't do that. That's what it's about. It's like we're having this great relationship and and uh, it's all fiery and everybody's got their, you know, the butterflies in their stomach and can't wait to see each other again. And then she's thinking, what, this is all going to fall apart at some point. No, he's like, no, I wouldn't. I would never do that. It's not this fling for me. Then you'll be cheating on me. No, I wouldn't do that either. You know, and so that to me, that is the majesty and the beauty of the song. It's like it kind of foreshadows that something's coming. And the whole way through, you're asking yourself, what is he talking about? What is that? Well, that's that's the punchline at the end. That's it. As you get to the end and he's like, you know what? I'm not going to leave you this is not just some temporary thing for me and i'm not going to go run around on you that's what the song is about in the end it's like i love love i love being in love and i want to be with you and i think that that resonates with some people i think sometimes we get so caught up in the it's kind of like reading you read the headlines and don't read the articles and then you go comment on facebook and you look kind of silly i think that's how this looks you know you, you remember the chorus and but you don't remember the ending you don't remember the finale and uh, the vocal in the song is absolutely outstanding. And so, again, an American icon in many respects, Meatloaf. Meatloaf passed away at the age of 74. And so for all of you that love his music, crank it today, man. I mean, and listen, it's not, listen, it's not Black Sabbath, you know, but everybody knows I would do anything for love. And so whether, whether you got into the Rocky Horror Music Picture, Rocky Horror Picture Show or any of that stuff, whether you did or you didn't, maybe you could check it out. Because this is a guy that was, in really many respects, a cultural icon uh, for a stretch. And when he made his big comeback, people were so excited when he came back. And little did we know that he had one of the, one of the best songs of his generation at his disposal. Meatloaf. If you have ideas for the top ten, reach out let me know. You can find the top ten list on Spotify very easily. Just go to Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. Uh, you can find Roy also on Twitter at that same handle name. And, of course, we thank he and the Izzy Mandelbaum for putting these great lists together so you guys can enjoy them as you travel. I've had many people reach out and say, Steve, I'm always looking for a new playlist. And I had a – what's crazy, like the band, uh, I guess it was Fuel we did. But anyway, it was an, it was an early 90s rock band, and uh, we had done one of these lists. And for some, somehow – 
I had a handful of people reach out and said, hey, I remember a couple of those hits. And now that I've listened to this, I'm like, oh, I remember that song. Or I never knew that song. I never heard that song before. And I've had multiple people contact me about the fuel list. I'm like, I think it's fuel. But, uh, but the bottom line is this, is we're happy to bring this to you. And again, it's a free service. You're not paying for this, you know. Uh, so we're happy to do it, celebrate music. And so I had some great ideas. I've got next week, we're gonna, we're gonna, it's going to be rock, man. We're going we're gonna to rock it out all week next week. We did Post Malone this week. We've done Meatloaf this week. We've done Taylor Swift this week. Guys, I, I got to get some bass in my voice here. I got to hear some guitar. I got to hear some drums. So we're doing rock all week next week. We, I mean, I, I've got to clear the karma. I, we've got to get it done. So rock all week next week. Got a couple of really good ideas. Uh, had a, a, a guy on Gene's page reach out to me, offer me three great ideas. We're going to do one of his ideas next week, and it's a covers, covers list. But I won't tell you by who just yet. We're going to do that. And the cover, you guys like covers. I like covers. I like to hear classic bands do other classic band songs and kind of make them their own. Pretty cool stuff. So reach out on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. Eager to hear from you. Always. All right, let's talk uh, women's hoops. This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Uh, CampusBookmart.net, that is your one-stop shop for Mississippi State merchandise. I'd encourage you when you're in town, go by and see Standing Man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. They'll take care of you. They'll make you feel like family because in their minds, you are family. Pretty simple. Simple as that. You're ready to go. And, you know, maybe, maybe you, don't, you can't make it to town. Maybe you live across the country. And you're like, you know what? I still want to wear my maroon and white stuff here. I know when I lived in Baton Rouge, like, they never got to me. Like, I, me nor my son ever wore any yellow shoe stuff. We just didn't do it. True maroon, man. True maroon. And I wore my stuff on maroon Fridays. It was game day every day, man. I was always repping the Bulldogs. And so I know a lot of you take pride in doing that if you live perhaps, uh, you know, in a hostile territory. Get outfitted at campusbookmart.net, and we'll save you a little cash by being a loyal Boneyard listener. Promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. All right. Women's basketball. We had a rough night that almost ended in historic fashion in a very positive way. And again, I go back and give Dove Novak a lot of credit. The guy is a great motivator. There's no question about it. Now, does that mean that he's going to be the head coach at Mississippi State? I don't believe so. But I think he's doing enough here to probably get himself in the conversation elsewhere. You know, we lose the big ball game to Ole Miss last week. On Sunday, 86-71, they dominated the game. There's no question they're the better team. They're expecting, they're expecting to come back and start going to do the same thing. And as much as I hate to hear that stuff, I, I kind of respect it. I, I respect people that have a little confidence. But Mississippi State opens up in Humphrey Coliseum, and uh, it's really, really bad early on, really. 23-7 to in favor of Georgia after one quarter. So you're down 16, and then they beat you in the second quarter, 21-17. So you're down 20 at the break at home. And I think everybody thought, you know what? This one's over. But the ladies didn't. They come back in the third quarter and explode. A 22-10 to 10 advantage for the Bulldogs in the third quarter. And all of a sudden, it's a ball game, right? Now, all of a sudden, 
you're thinking, hey, we can do this. We actually outscore them in the fourth quarter, but we couldn't we couldn't close the deal. State actually had the lead in the fourth uh, with about a minute to play. Mississippi State takes a 63-62 lead with 53 seconds to play in the game. You're thinking, hey, we're going to make it happen. They go right back, take the lead, makes it 64-63. We, we miss a short jumper, Danae Carter, who's back in action. With 15 seconds to go, we had a chance to shoot and take the lead. We miss. Rakia Jackson has to foul. We had fouls to give. We ended up fouling again. They made two free throws, made it 66-63, and then we, we take a, a three from Rakia Jackson, you know, kind of a desperation shot there, and couldn't quite pull it off. It's another loss, and again, I don't believe in moral victories, but um, I think it says a lot about this team and about this coaching staff that, uh, you know, they're not going to give up. It would have been easy at half to say, you know what, hey, this thing is over. Let's play some of the younger kids. Let's work on some things maybe in a game. Let's put some some new sets in, some plays perhaps we've worked on. Let's kind of work some things in different combinations. Didn't do that. Didn't do that. Came out and played with some intensity. Let's look at some numbers. Again, I don't know many, many women's basketball teams in our history, with the exception of a couple of Vic Schaefer's teams, that would have been able to overcome that deficit and be anywhere within striking distance in the final minute. I mean, you're down 20 at the break. The next thing you know, you got the lead, the minute to play. All right, look at Mississippi State's numbers. Rakia Jackson, of course, leads us with 27. Played all 40 minutes, 12 of 26 from the floor. She is a volume shooter and uh, pretty close to the mark last night. Two of three from the three-point line. And then the one she misses, of course, is the one at the end of the game. Uh, pulled down seven rebounds, had three blocks. Anastasia Hayes, 16 points for her and also 40 minutes of action. Maya Taylor pitches in 11, dishes out three assists. Uh, did have the one turnover. No steals for her, which is kind of uncommon. Uh, Jerkelia Jordan, just five points, 27 minutes, two of seven from the floor. Uh, Danae Carter, again, kind of rounding back in the shape. Ten rebounds for her, but just four points. And I know she's probably looking back at the one she missed that would have gave State the lead with about 15 seconds to go. That's the one you look back and, and you wonder. Uh, State, not really a great perimeter team, just three of ten uh, from beyond the arc. 28 of 68 from the floor for 41% as a team. And you look at free throws. So we, we didn't do a good job of getting to the line. Just four of six. But that's kind of not what we're used to. You know, this Mississippi State team, you know, we, we were good on the perimeter and we'd establish a perimeter game. You'd have to get out to defend us. And then, you know, Victoria Vivian's beats you off the dribble. And next thing you know, she's at the free throw line, you know, putting the game away and, and putting your best player on the bench. So it's a different, it's a different culture these days. Mississippi State, 11-6 and six overall, 2-3 and three in the conference. And, um, you know, I, you don't know what to expect at this point. You don't know what, what's coming next. But uh, this has been a fun team to watch. It wasn't real fun the first half, but this is a team that you give them some credit. They don't, they don't give up. So Sunday, the ladies will be at Arkansas. I'll be back in Humphrey Coliseum against Missouri uh, on Thursday. So those are your next couple ball games. Let's take a quick look at the, uh, the women's standings on that side of things the uh you know it was so much fun we used to uh 
you know, we, we would scoreboard watch. You know, it's like it'd be us in South Carolina. And it's like every week, you'd, if they played a different day than us, you'd watch them play Missouri or you'd watch them play Tennessee. SEC standings, Tennessee at the top, 6-0. and South Carolina, 5-1. and LSU, 5-1. and Kim Mulkey got them 17-2 and overall. Ole Miss, 4-1. and Georgia, 4-2. and Florida, 4-2. and Missouri, 3-3 three and 14-5 three and and overall. Arkansas, 2-3 and three and 12-6 and overall. So, Missouri, Arkansas, Mississippi State, all right there kind of bunched up together. So, these should be games that we should be competitive in. Simple as that. Can we win on the road to Arkansas? Don't know. But I know this. I know the Doug Novak and the ladies are not going to go up there just to go through the motions. But we've got to find a way here uh, to kind of figure out some W's here and hopefully finish above 500 in the league. Uh, you know, we had that game against Kentucky that got rescheduled. Yeah, they're one and three and eight and six overall. That's another one you look at now and you wish we would have had. And eventually we'll get a chance to play that game. But the reality of it is, is um, it'd be nice to have that, that W now. We're going to need it whenever we get it. But the reality of it is, is that this is a Mississippi State men's, women's basketball team. It's not going to quit. I still think that there's probably some uh, positive drama in that respect. I think we're going to probably beat some people we're probably not expected to, to beat. And that's the thing I think about this next week. You know, let's say you, you can do at, at best a split. Let's say between Arkansas and Missouri. Well, you got two of the worst teams in the league uh, the next two games. You got A&M and then Auburn. You got a chance to win those two games and kind of get right. And, of course, Florida's right there middle of the pack too. You know, Auburn's dead last in, in the Southeastern Conference, Texas A&M 12th. So you've got a chance – to kind of begin to pad the resume a little bit and kind of work your way towards uh, that winning campaign and perhaps an NCAA tournament berth. But, uh, yeah, the, what's, what we're seeing basically in the SEC is you're seeing some, you know, some old favorites, you know, the traditional favorites in this league like Tennessee and LSU uh, getting back on track. You know, it was us in South Carolina for a while. And, of course, South Carolina is still very much in the mix. No doubt about it. Don Staley, one of the best college coaches in the country on either side. But, you know, you got Tennessee, South Carolina, LSU. And, uh, you know, with Malky going to LSU, you expected them to come back. But it does appear Tennessee's finally kind of got it right. So it's going to be tough to kind of get back up there and uh, wrestle that away. But the reality of it is, is if we can build upon what we had last year and make the right hire. And, I, and I'm, I'm confident that we will. And I know it's so, it's so silly to me that there's so many people that are, um, you know, not really fans of sports outside of maybe football, baseball, it's like then all of a sudden they become uh, coaching hire hipsters, you know. Um, I've got confidence in our administration. Yeah, I know it's not popular to do that. People are like, oh, well, there's this. You know, the bottom line is this, is uh, you got Bulldogs in charge that know what the Bulldogs expect and what the Bulldogs want. And so I, I think you're safe in putting your confidence and getting this hire correct. You know, say, well, Steve, we didn't get the Nicky McCray-Penson thing correct. And to be fair, I don't know if that's correct or not. I don't know. You know, maybe this job proved to be a little bit too big for her. But I think about coming in in the middle of a global pandemic, you don't even really get to know your team. You don't get to really work out with your team. Um, and you spent the better part of your first couple months trying to keep your team from going into the NCAA transfer portal and potentially transferring to Texas. And then you have all this craziness. And, uh, listen, there's certainly some things she could have done better. But, you know, nobody is – nobody – is probably best evaluated after one year, whether they win 
or whether they lose. That one year, the first year, is always a difficult one to kind of have an idea of what to expect. Remember Kirby Smart's first year at Georgia? They were a joke. People were like, oh, my gosh. They've made a huge mistake here. The next year he's playing for a NAFL championship. Didn't win it, but played for it. You know, so you never know. Not to say that State was going to play for a NAFL title or Nicky mccray Pinson this year. I just think, you know, it's like a bump in the road. But uh, we got to get this one right because our, our, our fans have learned that they enjoy women's basketball. And we need to give them a winner. We do. We need to give them a team that can consistently get back in the tournament. So uh, I am confident that's going to happen. Final segment of the show brought to you by Portico, our good friends at Portico. Our lead friend at Portico is Brooks Bryan. You guys know Brooks. You know his work. The guy looks like he could still play. And recently there was a conversation on, on Facebook. I don't know if he was celebrating a birthday or something. I made the comment, hey, Brooks looks like he can still play. And he said, uh, well, I'm probably good for one at bat. And I said, well, then we're going to lay down a bunt, see if that cardio is working for you. Uh, but listen, Brooks is my friend, and here's the deal, too. This is kind of how it all comes together. You know, Brooks and I'm part of this great group that's part of building this great residential development in Starkville. Outstanding. Outstanding. And, and people are really enjoying it. I've had a lot of people that are like, hey, said, hey, Steve, I'm not ready to hire a real estate agent, but I went out there and just kind of looked around, and it's really cool. And it is. 1.1 miles from campus, not too far from that new neighborhood market, the Walmart neighborhood market, very conveniently located there. You turn off of, 12, off of 82 on the 12, and you take that first right. You've always seen that. You wonder, where does that go? Well, it goes to your new home. That's where it goes. You take that first right at Pat Station Road, you cross over the stop sign there, boom, there we are, Portico. Starting with a two-bedroom, two-bath, up to a four-bedroom, four-bath. And you can have some say in how the house is built, right? So phase two, the road's finished up. You know, we've had some weather issues, but uh, getting some foundations poured. And here's the deal. You can pick out your lot and pick out your house plans. Say, this is what we want. And you can have it. Whether it be your primary residence, perhaps your home away from home, perhaps your future retirement home or an investment property, whatever you need you have, they can be met at Portico. I've told you guys many times before, if I was moving to Starkville now, this is where I'd move. So close to campus, but it's the quiet side of campus. And you know they're going to be building some other stuff out there you know, to make it a little more convenient north of campus. You know, you've seen those hotels out there and that sort of stuff. There's going to be you know, some, some game day amenities and that type of stuff you know, that will allow people, game day travelers, a little more time and effort and nicer facilities. So be sure and go check out Portico. And if you, need, if you have questions, and I'm sure you do, give Brooks a call, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. And ask him about his Richard Lee stories, or maybe he's got some good Coach Pat McMahon stories he can share with you. Diamond Dogs for Life. All right, let's talk a little recruiting. You may know by now Mississippi State picked up another verbal commitment today. I guess now it's officially a signee, I guess, because uh, Stephen LaSoya, former offensive tackle at Middle, T- Middle Tennessee State, has just announced that he is a Mississippi State Bulldog. This is not unexpected news. If you are a member over at jeanspage.com, we've been forecasting this really since the moment that he was offered. He is a Nashville native from, uh, I guess it's John Overton High School. There in Nashville, Tennessee, had several offers out of high school. Uh, went to middle, 
did a great job there. And uh, here is his message uh, as he announces his uh, commitment to Mississippi State. I would like to thank everybody who has supported me throughout this process and also these past three years. I want to also thank the Mississippi State football staff for this opportunity. Now that I've made my decision, it's time to get to work. Hashtag Hail State. You got to like that. So right at 6'4", 305 pounds, give or take a pound or two, Here's the deal. Traditionally, you wouldn't say that a 6'4 guy would be playing tackle, but here's the deal. He has a much longer wingspan, you know, and uh, big hands. He's a guy that played left tackle at middle. And here's the thing I would point out, too, about that. You'd say, well, you know, Steve, it's Conference USA. You know what? And that's fair. You're right about that. It is Conference USA, which he also made the the all-Conference USA freshman team uh, as a freshman. Redshirted, I guess, back in uh, 18 – Redshirt, let me, let me think here. Maybe he signed in night, senior in high school in 18, and he was all Metro of Nashville, was on the uh, Tennessee All-Star team. And then redshirt in 19, played like seven games and started three as a redshirt freshman. Then we have the COVID year, right? And so he is going to have the ability to have three years of eligibility remaining. He's really only played the one year, and that's this year, the 2021. And uh, played in all 13 games, had 11 starts, most of them a tackle. They moved him around a little bit, played left tackle, and then they switched him over to right tackle in the ball game, which, yeah, that's a difficult transition. It really is to be able to play both sides. I mean, even playing guard is a little more challenging. But they flip him from left tackle to right tackle. It's almost like, hey, let's just kind of figure this thing out. But um, looking at this Middle Tennessee schedule, it's not like they displayed the Mississippi School of Math and Science. The second game of the year, they play Virginia Tech. That's a Power 5 team. That's an ACC team. That's a team, obviously, that's going to have Power 5 quality athletes. You know, a little bit later in the year, you know, they they play their Conference USA schedule, and then they, they beat Toledo uh, in a bowl game. So I say that because I think it's important. He was on a winning football team, and then they did play, you know, have that, that one game against Virginia Tech. But they they're 7-6 and six on the year. But they were highly competitive within their league. And this is a guy, obviously, that uh, was looking to get out and advance his uh, career. He picks up offers from Arkansas State, Georgia Southern, and UConn. And he was scheduled to visit UConn this weekend. But you know uh, your offensive line coach, Mason Miller, and those guys went to work and said, hey, listen, we need you now. We need you moving to Starkville this weekend. We don't need you visiting UConn. And who wants to go up there and be in that weather? Anyway, if you're from Nashville, goodness. I can understand just be willing to go take a trip, but not at this juncture in the recruitment. You know, this is January 21st. School started on Tuesday. So you need to spend a weekend kind of getting settled into your dorm. Let's get your locker set up. And so it's done. So Mississippi State has pursued an offensive line prospect out of the portal basically since the season ended in hopes of having a right tackle prospect that was kind of plug and play. This is what you have. Now, obviously – you know, Mason Brooks out of Western Kentucky is a guy we, we targeted pretty early in the process. Mason Brooks, one of the probably the most accomplished of the offensive tackle prospects in the portal, had, had an Ole Miss. Hey, you know what? And that's a good get for them. We wanted him for sure. Looked like he was going to visit. And basically last week the process, he kind of went cold on us. And uh, so he's headed elsewhere. But Mississippi State offers Tremont Shorts. And he's a guy, too, that was really kind of a swing guy, more so than a true right tackle Probably could have played right tackle in a pinch. Uh, they talked to him about that, talked to him about playing left guard and then sliding Cam Jones out there. Here's what I think this gives you the options to do. 
I think now you can kind of keep your interior together, right? Now, if you want to, you can keep Cam Jones at left guard. You got Big Q back for another year of eligibility at center. Cole Smith at right guard. Dollar Bill, of course, you know, broke his leg in the bowl game. Um, and so we don't expect him to do anything in the spring. Not sure what his availability is going to be in the fall. But to expect him to be full go at fall camp is probably asking a bit much. You know, it takes some time even when the ball and heels to kind of get some confidence and be able to, to kind of get back to where you were. But now all of a sudden you got Percy Lewis, who of course is a junior college player, and you don't know how quickly he's going to pick it up. Him, him, him being here for spring practice is huge. And then you put uh, Lasoya at right tackle. And this is a guy that has FBS experience. This is a guy that's been in the Middle Tennessee program for three years, been in a college weight room for three years, and of course – he hadn't been like what he'll be in now with Tyson Brown. But this is a guy, obviously, that knows how to work. This is a guy that played early in his career. This is a guy that had a lot of snaps as an underclassman, and now he's making a step up in competition. And so, in many respects, you look at this and say, you know, Percy Lewis may have a higher ceiling at left tackle, but Stephen Lasoya has more experience and could probably prove to be a more solid right tackle. And let's be honest – he has more college-level experience than Scott Lashley had when Scott came in. And so I think it's a good get. Is it a great get? You know, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe this is a guy that uh, takes a little while to warm up. But I like the fact that he's played in basically 20 FBS college football games, and now we're kind of getting the benefit of that experience and having a chance to have him come in and play for us. And with his wingspan being what it is, which is – it's a little bit out of proportion – He's a little bit longer than you would expect. That's a guy that uh, I think gives you some options. And he's played some at guard. But I think his first snaps in a Mississippi State helmet are going to be at right tackle. And so now all of a sudden you look at we have these emergent needs on the offensive line, and now it appears that we have filled them. Now, could there be another offensive line prospect in this class? Yes, there could be. But I don't think we take a reach here. Now that we got LaSoya in, I think now we can be a little bit particular because here's what we could do. You know, we offered Princeton Pines, former Baylor and former Sam Houston State offensive lineman. He's going to be a grad transfer once he finishes up in May. So I don't think you reach right now with a high school guy when you've got a guy like that available. Because I think he, if nothing else, gives you some depth, but he's also a guy that can make you a better football team in 2022. Now, will we be able to get him? I don't know. Because you begin to think about it. If I'm I'm going to use Mississippi State's depth chart against them if I'm a competitor. I'm going to say, well, where are you going to play? Oh, well, you got one year left to play? You're a grad transfer? You're trying to up your draft stock? Yeah, it'd be great to play in the SEC, but they just signed the number one junior college offensive tackle in the country. And they just had this transfer from Middle Tennessee State. Where are you going to play? Oh, I'm, I'm going to play guard. Oh, are you? Well, okay, because they got a two-year starter at left guard. And they've got, you know, a returning senior at center. And then last year, Cole Smith was the guy that really kind of solidified the offensive line when he entered the lineup. So where are you going to play? So while I would take Princeton Pines, I think that is going to be a difficult undertaking for us. I think it is going to be difficult to convince him to come. If we can, it's great. But we're not ready to go fish just yet. I think now, you know, we've got Jalen Farmer coming in for an official visit next weekend. I think you're all in with him. Former Florida commitment, 
I guess maybe he's still technically a Florida commitment, but uh, hasn't reaffirmed with them yet. He's visiting there this weekend. He may go ahead and wrap it up this weekend. But I don't think then you just go start looking through and say, okay, well, this guy's, you know, 6'5 or whatever. Let's take him as a developmental guy. I don't think you have to do that. I think the portal gives you some options because you can go young in the portal too, right? Let's say you get to do the spring practice and you look up and there's a guy that you recruited you really wanted, and maybe he's a redshirt freshman or a sophomore and he's in the portal. Well, then you can go get him. Instead of go getting, you know, know, some developmental high school guy and maybe pushing and reaching a little bit in February, you've got the option. You can be a little patient with this. You don't have to panic because right now that last offensive line spot, Mississippi State doesn't need to go get a starter for 2022. you got to go get a developmental guy. you got to get a guy that's going to be a potential starter. you got to get a guy that fits your matrix, but you don't go get a guy just to go get a guy. You don't just go – Say, oh, we got to have another offensive lineman. That's where the portal gives you some options. You can afford to be a little bit patient. So, we'll get through next weekend. You know, Jalen Farmer may visit, may like it. Jalen Farmer may, may recommit and reaffirm to Florida this weekend. And maybe that removes all possibility. And I think at that point, I think if you don't, if you can't get that guy or somebody comparable, you just shut it down. You just shut it down. I'm not, in all due respect, I'm not going to go, you know, go call up the head coach at Bug Tussle High School and say, hey, man, i got to get a tackle. Oh, well, we don't really have an SEC guy. i got to have a tackle. You know, and you don't think that stuff's happened in the past? I mean, there have been reaches. And I'll be honest with you. Remember we took Cam Jones on signing day a couple years ago from Starville High School? I thought, you know what, this is probably a bit of a reach. It probably is. And the guy's proven me totally wrong. One of our hardest-playing offensive linemen. Right here, born and bred, start with Mississippi. But we have had some guys in the past, I'm not going to mention them by name, that, you know, we go out late and we take a guy basically because he has the measurables we're looking for, but he doesn't always have the tape we're looking for. And I think that's the temptation right now that Mississippi State has to avoid, and I feel confident that they will. Let's not go get a guy just to get a guy in February unless it's a guy we really want because we're going to have options in the spring. Because the portal's going to reopen again, right? And you're going to have some younger guys that go through spring practice that find out, you know what, I probably need to go somewhere else. Maybe their situation changes with their family. Maybe they want to get closer to home. You know, we had Teddy Knox going to the portal yesterday. Everybody tells me this is a homesickness situation. He was home for the holiday break and, you know, got around friends and family. His family has moved back to Baton Rouge. Uh, they were in, in – in the suburbs of uh, Houston and the Woodlands. And um, and now they're back home. And so he got home, reconnected with some friends and family, and just thinks he wants to be closer to home. Does that mean LSU? Some people are telling me no. I don't know that I buy that yet. But the reality of it is is that uh, he has left our program, and it is a disappointment. That's a guy that's a very talented guy. Would have, would have played major snaps for us. He didn't get uh, untalented because he went in the portal. This is a guy that the staff was very excited about and expected him to have a breakout year this year, and now he's leaving. It's very frustrating for your staff, very frustrating for the fan base. You can say, well, the wide receiver room is loaded. You know, on paper, that's true. On paper, it's true. And, you know, Teddy Knox didn't have a lot of production this year. So, But I really believe we were just kind of really getting to see, you know, what's what he's going to be. This guy's really, really fast, and I think wherever he goes, he's going to be a great player. Wish it would have been here. I really like Teddy Knox, but he's moving on. But there are going to be guys like that on the offensive line side of things, too. There are going to be some guys like that, too, to say, you know what, hey, maybe I want to get closer to home. You just never know from one situation to the next. Every situation is a little bit different. 
And so because of that, you don't have to panic. We look at the safety spot. Still kind of working through that. You know, uh, Kamari uh, Terrell out of Shoemaker High School there in Texas. He's a guy that officially visited Mississippi State back on December 3rd. Hoping to get him signed back in December. He, of course, he wanted to wait and sign in February. Was holding out for the LSU offer. That offer hadn't come. There was talk that LSU was going to bring him in for official visit. Uh, it doesn't look like that situation is going to mature the way he hoped. So State's still working there, too. Now, Oregon recently named, uh, I guess, the favorite. So we'll see. And Oregon signed some kids out of Texas and had some successful. You remember LaMichael James? Yeah. L. Mike? Yeah. Yeah. Sylvester Chrome almost flipped him from Oregon. Almost. In fact, his sister wanted him to come to Mississippi State. Crazy. Um, but basically now with Lasoyo in the class, you're down to three spots. you got to go get a safety out of the portal. And if you could get a great corner, like if you get Kamari Terrell, you're going to take him. But you're not going to go chase. Similar situation with the offensive line. If you can't get what you want, save that grant for spring. Then, of course, we got, you know, the high school offensive line spot, too. That could become a best available. You know, if A.J. Allen called and wanted to commit today, then all of a sudden we don't take another lineman, right? You know, perhaps you have a difference maker as an edge. Maybe a guy says, hey, listen, I've always wanted to play at Mississippi State or I've got friends and family nearby there, and you take them. You know, you're not going to turn away difference maker players. You, you, you don't get such tunnel vision, especially when your immediate needs are already met. Yeah, because let's be honest, another offensive lineman in this class is a luxury. you got five signed. So you take another one, it's a bit of a luxury. And, of course, you're probably going to have one or two guys down the depth chart leave anyway. You know, we, and we've talked recently, uh, you know, that there are sometimes guys who just kind of make a decision uh, to get outside of football. And that's okay, too. That's part of life. But a sixth offensive lineman in this class is a luxury. You'd like to be able to do that, but you're not going to go take a developmental high school offensive lineman that's probably two to three years away from making a meaningful contribution in favor of a guy that makes you a better football team now. I mean, just like, say, for an example, if, you know, I don't know, maybe a wide receiver that we really liked and recruited really well, maybe all of a sudden he goes in the portal post-spring and you've got a scholarship available. That's the thing I, I think about in hindsight sometimes. It's like, the way the portal is being facilitated at this point, which, I, I, again, I think that has to change. I think there needs to be established periods of when the portal opens and when it closes. I don't think it should be 365 days a year. I don't. But it probably behooves you to save a scholarship or two just to see what happens in the spring. Because what happens when you look at your own needs? You go through spring practice and you're like, hey, this kid's not, not working out. Or maybe a guy gets injured that you were counting on. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you may have to put that guy on a redshirt year. Perhaps he has to get a medical hardship year, but you said I got to go win football games. And so it almost makes sense not to fill up in February because you still get the benefit of using those grants in December if you need to. But it makes perfect sense. You get through your spring evaluations, and all of a sudden you start thinking, man, I sure wish we could go sign this. I wish we had one more of these and a portal opens up. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out. You know, last year we, we chased defensive backs all over the country. And and in the end, you know, we were talking about blue shirting Hardrick and Hargrove. We ended up signing them 
uh, in the summer months. So rather than you know hold those grants, we went ahead and exhausted them because we knew that there were going to be players in December that we wanted to sign as well this year. So rather than just go sign a guy to sign a guy, you know, we sign players that um, you know go ahead and fit with their class. That gives us the option to kind of move forward with a full 25 the next year. And little did we know then they were going to have the NCAA waiver that enabled us to sign 32 this year. And we're going to sign 32, counting Jameer Calvin. And, of course, he's already on your football team. So 31, that doesn't mean it'll be 31 come February 2nd. It may be 30. It may be 29. You might save best available offense. You might save best available defense. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think you have to reach at corner because you're good this year. You're good. You don't have to reach at offensive line. But if a difference maker comes along, I think Mississippi State fans and coaches are going to be happy they have a little room to work with. Because how many times the guys can go in the portal and how many schools are going to be locked up and not have a scholarship available? It just kind of makes sense to at least save one, possibly two. So, especially now, we talked about when this transfer process first started. I was very honest with you guys. We need to go get a receiver or two. We did. You get Mosley, you get Robinson. Robinson now officially announced by the university as a signee. Needed to get an offensive lineman. We did. Steven Lasoya. On the defensive side of the football, we would have taken an edge rusher if we could find a difference maker. That really never really materialized. We needed to go out and get a corner. We did. Marcus Banks. Needed to get a couple of impact safeties. We've got one right now with Jackie Matthews. And so now you're basically one commitment away from filling all the needs you had as priorities when the transfer portal process really started for this year. You get through the bowl games, and all of a sudden people start going crazy. So basically you're down to a safety. Need to get one more transfer, a defensive back, and you would prefer a safety. And they're still out there chasing. You still got about a week. I know school started Tuesday, but you really have until the drop ad date, and there's still a little wiggle room with that. But the reality of it is is you want to get one more safety. I love Jackie Matthews, but I would feel better if we had two. You need some dog in that secondary, and I don't know that we've had that. I don't know that we've had that reputation. I want to share a quick story with you uh, before we get out of here. So, you know, you guys know I've been Baton Rouge for a long time, uh, 16 years. And, um, and so I would go cover the LSU football camps just like I would the Mississippi State camps. And I would go get pictures of players that Mississippi State was recruiting and, you know, get things for the network. And, and uh, one of the things that I, I would talk to the LSU players about because they would come out to camp and they, they were always so cordial and eager to talk football. And they loved talking about other teams, not just their team. They love to kind of hear what everybody else is doing. And I remember asking some of those LSU wide receivers, it's like, hey, what, what, do you, what do you think about Mississippi State? And I don't remember which one spoke up first. But the first guy says, you got to watch number five. And I said, oh, yeah, Nico Whitley? He goes, yeah, Whitley, number five. He said, you got to be careful of number five. And then it was almost like a chorus. It's like, oh, yeah, five, 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 yeah, yeah, you better be careful. You better not elevate around five or you're going to pay for it. You know, that's the reputation we had, you know, during, you know, the early 2000, 2010s that if you cross the face of the safety at Mississippi State, you better be bring a lunch because Nico Whitley would absolutely change your role for you. We don't have that reputation right now among other SEC teams. Everybody knows that Martin Emerson and Emmanuel Forbes are dogs, 
But there's a reason people picked on the Mississippi State safeties, because that was a path of least resistance. So we have to address that. And one player is probably not enough. You know, getting Jackie Matthews is probably not enough. Does DeCarlos Nicholson go play in a secondary at safety? I don't think so. I think he works at corner. But, yeah, I think you need some fresh blood out there. We need a number five. We need a guy out there that LSU's and Alabama's, they know who he is. They may not be scared of him, but they know who he is because you command that kind of respect. Nico Whitley will always be one of my favorite Bulldogs. Uh, one of the things I loved about him, a guy's covered with tattoos, and that one talked to the media and the people ran, ran across the face of the safety, he would absolutely knock him in the next week. He changed the direction of Washana Ely's career. Washana Ely was considered one of the best running backs that Georgia's ever produced. He came at Davis Wade Stadium and met Nico Whitley at the one. Nico knocks it out. Next thing you know, we go on to win the ballgame. Washana Ely lost his confidence that day. Nico Whitley took it from him. Completely changed the direction of that guy's career. Welcome to the SEC, kid. All right, so we're about a week away from uh, Dogpile being shipped from the printer to the publisher. Thank goodness we're almost there. And as soon as I get more information, I'll share it with you guys. Because as soon as those books arrive, I'm going to be going down to Jackson to sign them. That's what we're going to do. And then they're going to go out in the mail. And so we're, we're getting close. I know you guys are eager. I appreciate your patience. But I just wanted you to know this is where we are. So on or around the 26th, be boarded up on a truck and be headed this way. Take a couple days to get here, be offloaded, and as soon as they offload and get stacked, I'll be signing. Then I'll be packaged and shipped out to you and uh, be in bookstores all over. Really excited about it. And, uh, you know, sometimes I get downright emotional thinking about how important this book is to me and, and to you guys. And so I'm excited. So you guys get excited, and uh, we'll update you as we go. If you're looking to order, you can go to dogpiledebook.com. As a matter of fact, they've already had to sign the contract on the second printing. How about that? Um, even though the book hadn't even been released. The thing is selling well already. And so uh, Dogpile the Book, you can get Flim Flam there, you can get Alpha Dogs there, you can get Stark Villains there, and of course you can get Dogpile there. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you have to look elsewhere. You can find it on Amazon, find it on barnesandnoble.com, booksandmegan.com. It's, uh, it's everywhere. Easy to find it. And uh, as always, you can find the Stark Villains gear, T-shirts, hoodies, all the good stuff there at Stark Villains. Dot com. That's going to do it for today. You guys crank some meatloaf, man. Enjoy that. Maybe go watch Fight Club in his honor. Maybe go watch Rocky Horror uh, Picture Show in his honor. Be sure to check it out. And uh, rest in peace, Meat. We appreciate your contributions to uh, American music. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.